the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our spooky, scary past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are continuing our Vampire Month. October is the month of sucking blood, apparently. Uh, That's what (laughs) we're doing. So we are going to continue that with the 1994 film Interview with the Vampire. We are going to discuss that. We are going to talk the uh, 60s TV show, the classic show, The Munsters. Um, Why? Because... Both uh, uh, the mother, Lily, and her grandfather were both vampires, so it ties in, okay, people? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then we're going to do a recasting of Interview with a Vampire, which uh, I'm, I'm pretty curious about. I'm pretty excited about. I'm not, not to say people need it. I don't think they need a new one, but actually there is like a show going on. Yep. Uh, right AMC just released a TV show version um, okay. starring, I forgot his name, um, but he was on Game of Thrones. Oh. Uh, he was the leader of the Unsullied. Oh, that guy. Yes, I can't remember his name. I don't. I do not. Good looking dude, but I cannot yeah. remember who he is. But he, I think he's playing Louis in that. Okay, okay, he's playing Louis. All right, interesting. I'm cool with this. I might, I might need to check it out. So, oh, it's on AMC Plus. I don't have that. Yeah, nope. I don't have that either. I'm Never not mind. <laughs> not gonna check it out. <laughs> There's too many of those damn different streaming services but uh all right 1994 john my man could you get us uh, our minds set back to that year so the film was released on november 11th 1994 the billboard top 100 singles that week i'll make love to you by boys to men Like you want me to. <laughs> that is a good song. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings was the show ER. Okay, huge. Huge show. PC gamers, uh, sometime around the end of this month, would get a uh, seminal uh, piece of gaming called Warcraft that Blizzard was about uh, to put out. Yes, I mean, that, that we played that original game. Yeah, um, I remember having like that one, or maybe it was like uh, the third version or something. Well, my favorite one was Warcraft 2. Warcraft 2, okay. That was the one that I played the most. I don't think I played the original Warcraft, but I know I played Warcraft 2. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, you were either orcs or humans, and you kind of had to build up, you know, your... Yep. It was like, like Age of Empires kind of thing, right. but a little bit different, so... Yeah. It was... It was cool. I love those types of games. I love Age of mm-hmm. Empires. I love Warcraft. I love all those types of games. Uh, the New York Times bestseller was a book called Insomnia by Stephen King. Oh, well, I only know it because of the, if that's, if that movie is based off of, if that's the Stephen King one, the Insomnia one, the Robin Williams one. I think it is actually, yeah. Okay. And uh, my fun fact for 1994, and I just, I saw this, I just thought it was weird. So I'm going to present this to you. So uh, Johnny Cash wrote a love letter to his wife, June Carter Cash. And in 1994, uh, he wrote it in 94 and it was voted the most romantic letter ever. I don't know who it was voted by. It's not a particularly long letter, so I'm going to read it to you, and you can tell me whether or not you think it's the most romantic letter ever written. Okay. 
Happy birthday, princess. We get old and get used to each other. We think alike. We read each other's minds. We know what the other one wants without asking. Sometimes we irritate each other a little bit. Maybe sometimes take each other for granted. But once in a while, like today, I meditate on it and realize how lucky I am to share my life with the greatest woman I ever met. You still fascinate and inspire me. You influence me for the better. You're the object of my desire, the number one earthly reason for my existence. I love you very much. Johnny Cash. Now, is it a good letter? Yes. Yeah. Do I think it's the most romantic letter, letter ever written? No. No, I don't. I agree with that, but that, that was a well-written, you know, very loving letter, yes. but not the most romantic of all time. Yes. So, there you go. That was 1994. Okay. We got 1994 underway. All right. Now, let's talk some vampires. Interview with a Vampire, directed by Neil Jordan. Uh, He also directed The Crying Games, uh, Michael Collins, that was with Liam um, Neeson, and then Greta more recently, things like that. Mm. Um, This film is based on the novel by Anne Rice. Uh, She also ended up doing the screenplay for this film. This was kind of a part of like a vampire trilogy, the uh, the Vampire Chronicles, uh, which included also after this The Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned which Queen of the Damned became a movie, um, which I never saw that one. I didn't either. And I actually read the some of the books. I don't know if you uh-huh. did. Um, I actually, I have it, but I haven't read it. It's weirdly, I'm like sitting, like, I think it's the same copy that you read, honestly. Because was it originally mom's copy? Yeah, yeah. and I've got it and yes. I just like haven't, I, and I'm like, I want to read it. So I definitely read, I definitely read uh, this one uh, in high school. I think I read it, after I saw the movie, mm-hmm. I did have a friend who actually read it. Uh, my friend Alex read it before he saw the movie, and I remember him. Um... <laughs> there it is. I'm pulling it up. Sorry, it's all crackety. This is definitely, I think, the old yep. and old version. Yeah. Um. So my buddy Alex read it beforehand, and he thought that his name was Lewis. Oh, so, well, fair. <laughs> yeah, because it's spelled the same, but not taking into account the fact that it was in New Orleans. Um, I always remember that. And then I believe I read The Vampire Lestat, which is the next book in the series. And I think I started reading Queen of the Damned. And I kind of stopped after that. I was I was Anne Rice out after yeah. two books. Fair. All right. So uh, cinematography was done by Philippe uh, Rousselot. Uh, I, he's done some other very attractive, good-looking films, including A River Runs Through It, mm. um, Big Fish, Constantine. Uh, remember the Titans, all very good films right yeah. there. Music was done by Elliot Goldenthal. Uh, he did some films like Pet Cemetery, the third Alien film, Batman Forever, Demolition Man as well. So, I mean, I wouldn't say any of those are like particularly known for their their com- uh, compositions, their music, right. but I think they're all solid. I, I found myself really enjoying the score I in this movie. It, it was um it was definitely it was mood setting. It yes. was very much um I mean it worked really well with the kind of um because it was all flashback, you know, period piece kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it flowed very well with with everything. So I agree. Good stuff. And then the vampire um and makeup and effects were done by Stan Winston, ah. the absolute god, the great man himself who worked on things like Predator, Jurassic Park, the Terminators, Edward Scissorhands. Tons of fantastic stuff from Stan Winston. Mm-hmm. 
the cast for this film, Louis, is played by Brad Pitt. Uh, I don't need to mention other things that Brad Pitt's been on. You, you know Brad Pitt. Same with Lestat is played by Tom Cruise. You all know Tom Cruise. Uh, Malloy is played by Christian Slater. Malloy is the, I don't even remember getting his name ever, but it's the interviewer. Right. The writer uh, played by Christian Slater. Uh, we talked about him a couple times now with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and The Wizard. Mm-hmm. Also been in Mr. Robot recently and Broken Arrow, things like that. Yvette, who was kind of like the uh, the house slave, if you will, mm-hmm. was played by Tandy Newton. I forgot she was in this film. That That is a fact that I always, I'm constantly reminded of it every time I go back to this. I'm like, I forget yeah. who it is, and then I see it again. I'm like, oh yeah, that was her, and then I forget it, and then I see it again. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that was her. Yep. Um, she's awesome. She's been in Westworld, Crash, Pursuit of Happiness, tons of fantastic stuff. Great actress there. Uh, Claudia is played wonderfully by a young Kirsten Dunst. Uh, she was just one of those strong young kid actresses. Uh, we know her from later on with Bring, Bring It On. Actually, we talked about her in Jumanji, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little after this. Uh, Spider-Man films uh, with Tobey Maguire, that stuff. Uh, Armand is played by Antonio Banderas. We talked about him with Mask of, Zor- Mask of Zorro. He was also in Philadelphia, Desperado, lots of stuff. And then the last person I'm going to mention, uh, Santiago, who was kind of like the... Uh, other main guy around in Armand's group uh, is played by Stephen Ray. Uh, he was in V for Vendetta is actually probably what you would remember him best from. But also he's been in pretty much all of Neil Jordan's films and lots of other Who stuff. Who did he play so. in V for Vendetta? He was, uh, I think, the cop guy. So oh. I'm pretty sure, you know, there was like that. Yeah, there was that cop guy. You'd, you'd recognize him. <laughs> okay. I think he was, he was like, I mean, he was a fairly main character. Oh, absolutely. That was him. Okay. I, I, yeah, I had to pull it, up a, a more recent photo of him. Am I right at saying the cop guy? Wasn't yes, he a cop guy? he was guy the cop guy, okay. yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, the budget for this film was $60 million, and the box office was $223 million, So this was a success. Yeah, that's a nice little payday. It is. It's kind of, to me, it makes me a bit of a surprise that nowadays, if you had that much of a return on investment, they would immediately green light another one they would be doing the next film in the book franchise, mm-hmm. try to get the vampire Lestat. I mean, but they waited, you know, not quite a decade, but probably like eight years or so until Queen of the Damned came out or something. I can't remember exactly when that one came out, but, but yeah, so it's just kind of, I find it interesting that they didn't, after all this success, they didn't think to continue it, but mm. sure. And for my nostalgia, I mean, I remember watching this when I was pretty young. Yeah. I can't remember if it was on TV or we rented it or what, but I feel like I remember seeing this hell even before I went to high school, you know, like for me, I, I don't I don't know if this is like a mom's pick, but, but what do you remember about watching Interview with a Vampire when you were young? Yeah, I can't remember when the first time was we saw it. I definitely don't think it was a saw it in the theater type thing. Mm-hmm. It might've been like a uh, rented blockbuster. Um, it was probably something our mom showed us because I'm pretty sure mom had read the book. So. so, yeah, I think so too. So yeah, I definitely, and I have, you know, fond feelings of seeing it when I was younger. Yep. So, all right, let's see if those feelings stay fond after we do our <laughs> scene by scene breakdown. And we start off in San Francisco. We meet a writer, Malloy, and he's wanting to get Louis's life story because he seems interesting. So apparently this guy just goes around meeting people and getting their stories and Louis talks about being a vampire, which, of course, Malloy is skeptical about until a bit where Louis moves really quickly and turns on the light, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty just to kind of freak him out. So he begins and he begins as he was born into darkness. 
Shall we begin like David Copperfield? I am born. I grew up. Or shall we begin when I was born to darkness, as I call it? And we get a flashback to 1791. He was the master of a plantation outside of New Orleans. Uh, we had find out his wife and child had died, and he was just very depressed. He didn't want to really go on living, and he kind of had a death wish. We see Lestat, Lestat uh, noticing him and kind of picking him out, and uh, Lestat, you know, finds him off and bites him on the neck, does this very dramatic floats up high on this boat kind of thing, drops him in the water, and it allows him to live uh, for now. But that night, uh, Louis is kind of sick at his home and whatnot. Lestat comes over, and he gives him the choice he never had. I'm going to give you the choice I never had. This is a nice, this is a reoccurring line. This is like just established with Lestat. I love this line. Mm -hmm. I also kind of wish... This is why I kind of wish that they would have made a Vampire Lestat movie or something. Like, I would love to see some of his, you know, history. Right. Um, but maybe it's the maybe it's the mystery behind it that makes him so intriguing as a character. Mm -hmm. You know, because part of the times Lestat is manipulative, and it's like, is he bullshitting all this stuff? Right. All you know that that's that's what I agree. I think that is what is the most intriguing thing about his character is the fact that he doesn't talk about his past. Even later, when you find out that. Uh, that Armand knew him, and mm -hmm. like your question is, I was like, okay, did Armand turn him? Was he the one who turned mm -hmm. him, or was it someone else? They never say. They never say exactly yeah. who it was, and I think that mystery works really well for his character. Honestly, that's what that's the that's my favorite version of the Joker is the Joker where we don't know his backstory, and I think that makes the it makes for very very intriguing bad guys. We do live in a world where. Everything gets its own prequel now. Everything gets a side movie or Lame. book or something explaining. And you know what? You're right. We don't need some of that. Mm -hmm. And you know, even though I'm curious, that curiosity is probably what fuels yeah, the interest for a lot of us. To yeah. me, that's part of the storytelling is the reader's imagination gets to yeah, fill in sure. that that space. Sure. Because whatever you come up with in your head is going to be the best version of it, and whatever someone else puts on paper is not going to be what you had in your head, and then you're going to be like, well, I hate that. Yeah. Well, then you should have just let it stay in your imagination. That might be why a lot of these things are failing, mm -hmm. a lot of these prequels, and also I think there's just poor writing. Now, granted, I had heard Andor is good. I need to watch it. I watched I know you don't I care. watched the first episode and was bored okay. to tears oh. by it, and I, I haven't okay. watched any of the rest of it. Okay. All right. All right. Well. Because you know, I between I didn't care about the character. I mean, I cared about the character in Rogue One, not enough yeah. to care about his backstory. Gotcha. And I I like Rogue One uh, more than you, so maybe I, you know I'm going to give it a shot. I'm gonna give it a go. But I also I've got too much. I haven't finished Cobra Kai. I haven't <laughs> finished. Uh, I haven't. I'm not even caught up. I just got caught up on House of Dragon. I got to get caught up on Rings of Power, and then I got to watch Andor. And I'm like, oh my god. Too much good stuff, not enough time, because I spend all my time podcasting for you, who is listening right now, <laughs> doing my research. So, all right. Anyway, uh, Louis has decided to become a vampire, and he looks upon his last sunrise and then agrees and goes to find uh, Lestat. Uh, and to complete the transformation, Louis must drink upon Lestat's blood, uh, which he does. And his body, actually, I like this aspect of the, this, these vampires, is basically... He drinks the vampire blood, and he then dies from it. Mm -hmm. Like, his body actually dies, and then he gets reborn um, as an undead mm -hmm. vampire. So he has to go through that process. Uh, Louis and Beloy go over some of the staple vampire things that I, I like this, because obviously in 
the future in this world, pop culture vampires is a thing. Right. Like they took, they go over like, oh, the crucifix is stake through the heart. Both of that is bullshit. They even mentioned like garlic later. It's all crap. Right. You know, there is no Count Dracula, all this kind of stuff. But apparently coffins are a thing. Mm-hmm. They, it's a bit of a necessity to stay away from the light during the day, as is obviously drinking blood. So uh, we'll go back into our flashback and Louis and Lestat drink from a whore. Um, but Louis, he doesn't enjoy taking life. He is obviously um, tortured by this new, uh, you know, life of his as a vampire. He's not, he, he doesn't want to kill. So uh, we do meet at his plantation. We meet one of his slaves, Yvette, as we mentioned, Tandy Newton, um, and can tell she's a bit freaked out by him now. Um, you know, they're feeding food and all this stuff and he's not eating anymore. And just overall, he freaks her out and Lestat freaks her out. Uh, she leaves at one point. I like Lestat grabs a rat on the ground, picks it up, bites its necks and drains it into a wine cup um, for here you go. You can drink uh, wine or drink rats uh, already. Drink, drink rat blood instead. And we do get a little establishment here that that the blood, it gets cold quickly mm-hmm. once it's, um you know, out of the body or, you know, you put you. You don't. It's not as good right. for you, and I guess the farther you know after a dead animal or something that it's actually quite bad for you. We'll find out later. Mm-hmm. But really, just establishing vampires really only you only want to drink your blood, and they even mention it as the heart is still beating. Once the the heartbeat stops, it gets cold and it's not good. And it's not good for you. Uh, so I think that's pretty interesting. A line that does get a little bit glossed over, and they kind of we do come back to it. But Louis is surprised that you can live off, you know, blood of animals and whatnot. And Lestat responds, "I wouldn't call it living, call it surviving. Useful trick if you're caught for a month on a ship at sea." What's important to me about this line is it sets up Lestat is a survivor. Yes, he has done this kind of thing before, obviously, and he would do this. In a pinch. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's something that we'll come back to. And I, I like that he kind of sets himself up as a survivor right here. Yeah. We see Lestat and Louis looking for who to hunt at this aristocratic party. You know, we get it gets. Yeah, I like that we get the narrative um, of Brad Pitt just kind of like, you know, you know, you get him as a narrator as well of what we go thing talking about how, oh, Lestat loved you know, the different type of people that he liked to dine upon, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> like, you know, he li- he liked to start the night off, um, you know, with a with a nice young boy. And then and then his favorite was a was a rich aristocrat, right. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like, mm, I start off with a nice Bordeaux and then I move over to a Pinot Noir. Uh, that's exactly how they're discussing it. And I think it's great. And we do learn that Lestat can apparently read minds, uh, something that Louis can't do. Mm-hmm. Apparently, th- the dark gift is different for them all. So different vampires have some different powers. We'll see later. Some of them could fly. Mm-hmm. Um, other kind of like there's some mind control. Even at one point, you see Armand do to the to the lady. We'll see later. But um, yeah, they all have different stuff. And but one thing they do know is as they get as they age, pretty much as they continue to live, they will get stronger. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. And that is something I like um, with all vampire lore and vampires lore is different. I see a lot of weird, different stuff. Right. Um, just depends on the movie like this one. They will look how they look when they, you know, get bitten or how they transform at that time right. forever. But then I've also seen other ones like where you get an old vampire. If they're a really old vampire, they look really old. Right. And they look different like um buffy when we we talked about at least the show mm-hmm. like the master vampire he looked really old and kind of gross yeah and wasn't it was kind of that way in blade too also wasn't it yes it was it was it was very much like that in blade as well and which i just th- found that kind of strange it's like okay 
do you live immortally as a young person at that age, or do you just age very slowly now? Right. And is that the case? I don't know. Just, or is there a certain age when you hit vampire puberty and then <laughs> now you're now you're a gross old vampire? Like, what what happens? So, all right. So Louis walks with this old aristocrat lady. Um, we find out that she Louis from reading her or. Lestat from reading her mind says that oh she had this little boy uh, kind of guy uh, kill her husband and so they're going to drink them Lestat with the little boy toy and Louis with the old lady but Louis doesn't end up killing the lady he goes for her little yappy fucking dogs <laughs> <laughs> he's drinking their blood which she is freaking out and so Lestat has to kill you know and suck the blood of the boy real quick and then he goes and snaps the old lady's neck uh, before she can scream any further. So overall, Louis, just he's traumatized. He's upset that he's been driven to this life. He's been condemned to hell, basically. We see him killing, you know, in the plantation and whatnot, killing chickens in the coop and whatnot. He's doing anything he can to not have to kill people. Uh, but the slaves all think this, there's some kind of curse going on. Um, you know, they're going to riot against him uh, and, and, the, and the plantation, you know, and the house and whatnot. But we learn... You know, Lestat came from Paris, uh, as did the one who made him. So, okay, just getting little things about Lestat's past. Louis kind of questions the whole meaning. Uh, and I actually really like this. Lestat gets upset here, too. He's like, I don't know any of this shit. Why do you think I know it? You know, and like, th there's no meaning in their life. They have no idea about their history. They're just trying. Louis just wants to try to figure out, you know, the meaning in his life. But, um, uh, but yeah, they c he can't do it. And so. Anyway, uh, Yvette tells uh, Louis that she's worried about them. Everyone is frightened of Lestat, etc. But the, and the hunger at this point gets to Louis as uh, gets gets to the, be the best of him, and he ends up biting Yvette's wrist, and it freaks her out. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the slaves are bringing torches to try and root him out and root out Lestat potentially. Who Yvette, Lestat gets the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. As they're about to come torch the house, he busts open the door with, I assume, is Yvette dead or she just passed out from? I took it to mean drained. she was dead. I did too. Okay. So I assume that he did eventually just, he did suck out her blood and whatnot. He tells them that, you know, yes, your, your master is the devil. Get out of here. You know, you're all free now. And he puts, he puts the torch to the house himself. Mm -hmm. um, but before he pretty much. I think was going to just sit in the house while it burned around him. Lestat comes in and gets him out of there. Hmm. So uh, they go to New Orleans. And here I am proposed with a bit of a question. <laughs> Where do vampires get all their money? I mean, they're not working during the day. I don't see them doing any work. Do they just suck the blood and then steal from the bodies? Is that maybe the case? That's kind of what I took that to, to be, is they... Okay. they were able to put themselves into situations where they could take other people's money. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I guess only makes sense. At that time, you know, money wasn't all digital. Right. And so they were could easily grab them or go into places' houses and just take all that. Right. So sure. All right, I'll go I'll give with that. Uh Lestat dines on some prostitutes. He tries to post Louis to feed on one of them. Again, Louis is refusing. Uh, he go out he goes out and eats rats instead. Uh, we also find out that the plague is going rampant right now throughout New Orleans. Um, Louis stumbles upon this child whose mother has obviously died from the plague. And he's, you know, at first trying to comfort her. But then again, the hunger gets the best of him. And he feeds upon the child. Which Lestat sees this and laughs it up. <laughs> yucks it up. He's just... Finally, he knows he knows that the hunger is going to get the best of him. 
one of my favorite, most humorous parts of this movie is when Lestat, in his little joyous, you know, ha told you so moments, he's picking up the dead corpse of the mother and dancing around. Oh my it. gosh, I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I mean, that humor is so good. Louis, though, of course, is horrified by what he do- what he just did, and he runs off. Lestat does eventually find him, tells him he has a gift for him. Apparently, the child is alive, barely, but is still alive. And Lestat lets her drink from him to become a vampire, uh, which ultimately he kind of gave Louis the choice. Right. He wants Louis to have, a, you know, a companion um, to have, you know, a little child because he knew that's what Louis wanted. And he, you know, because his own passed away. So the only weird thing here is for some reason, her hair goes from being a little bit ratty to being perfectly curled and like doll's head. How, how did that happen? I didn't I don't remember seeing Louis get much better looking um and like he didn't get a makeover i don't think did he it was a a little bit but i think it was a lot less drastic so it was less noticeable okay so yeah all right so so vampire blood also ultimately has a uh, nice um makeover aspect to it (laughs) so yeah you're gonna get you're gonna look good uh claudia though this new child unlike louis kind of revels in the drink she enjoys you know, the hunger, and uh, she, she allows it to me, I think to she's her. too young to know better. Like, she's going on instinct alone. Sure. And and that's going to be the major thing with Claudia's character. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, she is going to be their daughter. And it's uh, ultimate, and, and why Lestat did this is basically to, to make Louis stay. Like, that's what he thinks is, and it works. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's some funny stuff here, you know, with Claudia and whatnot. They go to a, get a dress made. She ends up killing the dressmaker. <laughs> You know, she right. She can't. She's just kind of going on instinct, and she just becomes skilled at killing. You see, toying with her food, even if you will. Um, she kills. You know, like this lady in the street. You know, as she was trying to pretend to be a, a sad child. She kills her piano teacher. She kills a, this doll maker, probably as well. And a great, great line when Lou, when Lestat finds the piano teacher at the house. Claudia, what have we told you? in the house <laughs> it's just it's just cute i mean they are like and, a, then, and then he pushes her over and he just the piano teacher just falls over with you know just nonchalantly yeah. yep that's wonderful um but the years fly by as they're kind of enjoying their family life if you will so uh at one point they're in new york and claudia notices this beautiful grown woman like the, she kind of sees like a naked woman through like a door or a window mm-hmm. and you know, she's just curious, you know, will she ever grow up and look like that? And it's been 30 years since she has already been turned into a vampire. And no, she won't. She'll never grow up like that. And they even still kind of treat her. Lestat buys her dolls and all this kind of stuff. Um, but she's done with it. She's sick of it. She wants. She throws away her dolls. Uh, we do find out a dead body <laughs> under the dolls, which is that <laughs> she killed that lady. Right. Uh, she was a, because she was upset that she wanted to be like her and never could. And she just let the corpse hang out in the house, which is apparently a no, no, but mostly a no, no, I would imagine because of, um, you know, stink and they could get found out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So in a rage, Claudia ends up cutting her hair, her hair, trying to, you know, enact any kind of change, but it grows back almost immediately. She's furious. She wants to know what happened and how, you know, who did it? Who, who changed her into this monster? Louis tells her the story, and it was both of them. Um, so she is at first upset, but then kind of just focuses her hate towards Lestat, and she wants to her and Louis to leave him. Um, so she, really on her own, 
comes up with this plan to fuck over Lestat. So she tricks him into drinking dead blood. Uh, apparently, yeah, as we mentioned before, it's not good for vampires. It can be kind of maybe like partly poisonous or something. So I have to say that it was it was kind of an ingenious. Oh yeah, thing she did. Yeah, she there was apparently like some kind of like a chemical or something that she gave the kids that killed them, but it kept their blood warm so he would drink up and not like you know spit it out immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she slits his fucking throat and <laughs> bleeds out. And he just bleeds and bleeds. Now, the only thing I thought was kind of strange on this is we see specifically her cutting his face at one point, and he heals, like, immediately from it. Right. You would think it would do the same with the throat, but maybe because it's the jugular vein, it's gushing more than he can heal in time or something. I'll I'll throw out, since we're just theorizing here, I'll throw out uh-huh. the theory of maybe the t- contaminated blood okay. fucks with the healing ability. Yeah. I like that. I like that. It's a good explanation. Okay. So as he looks basically drained and dead, they need to take him somewhere. And so they're going to take him to the swamp. And we even see them put the body in and like this alligator apparently, you know, going to the body and, and eating it up. Apparently. Yeah. Because you see a lot of red blood come out. Exactly. It's just exactly a lot of red blood and it's just under the water and it looks furiously, you know, you know, um, agitated. Mm-hmm. So. All right, so as they think they're safe, this is a little bit in the future, they think they're safe, Lestat attacks. He came back uh, probably only like a week later or or less than that or something. He survived in the wildlife by feeding on the wildlife of the Mississippi River. Claudia, ooh, you have been a very naughty girl. Claudia, you've been a very, very, <laughs> I love um, the makeup looks great on here. I actually looked to see if the makeup was uh, was like put in for an Oscar or anything like that. It was not nominated, which huh. kind of got me upset. I think Tom Cruise is like particularly his like death swamp and his look and all that kind of stuff looked really good. Um, I agree. Makeup was fantastic. And I love Tom Tom Cruise's performance. I think he this is probably my favorite Tom Cruise acting in his entire career for me. I I don't know if I could quantify that just off the top of my head. Sure. I'd have to go back and look over other yeah. things, but I think it, I I think his acting in this is stellar. Sure. Because he is he seems maniacal. Yeah. And I love that. Mhm. Exa- I mean And I believe it, it. You're right. He's so believable as this is maniacal, manipulative um vampire where you know you're used to Tom Cruise as the hero. You know, he's going to do all this and here it's very much the opposite side and i think it's wonderful so um but they're kind of like they fight lestat ends up getting lit on fire he is set ablaze and louis and claudia run get the fuck out of there escape assuming he is dead a fire you know from from the fire and so they get they get out of the united states they travel to europe they're trying to find more of their kind louis wants to you know get the meaning of it all and so eventually they do go to paris and a vampire finds them. Um, it's kind of a fun, quirky little scene. We get the Santiago character mm-hmm. kind of doing almost this mirrored movement until he kind of starts showing off that he's a vampire by walking on a tunnel. It's just kind of a fun little, um, I mean, it makes sense, a very theatrical thing because they run a theater. And so mm-hmm. I like it. We we meet Armand as well. And Armand invites them to uh, a play to see to see their troop of vampires, basically. So Louis and Claudia go, 
And uh, just a fantastic line where Louis points out Vampires who pretend to be humans pretending to be vampires. Uh, avant-garde. Vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires. How avant-garde. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's great. I have always remembered that line, honestly. Yep. I just thought it was funny. It is. Um, but yeah, so they do their little stage play of being vampires. At one point, this very not actor, they bring on a female onto stage. They disrobe her. They rip off her clothes and they feed on her on stage. Of course, the people in the audience think it's all an act. They think it's all part of it. But without question, that was a woman that they grabbed from the street and just pulled her on and fed on her in front of everyone. So, uh, which horrifies Louis, of course. Yes. He doesn't like he that. knows that it's real. Yeah. Um, so we kind of meet the entire troop of vampires. They're living kind of in the catacombs beneath Paris, if you will. Um, and Louis wants to find out about their history. And we really don't get much more. Um, Armand kind of mentions he's 400 years old, uh, at least at that time mm-hmm. from wherever this was, probably in like the early 1800s right. or something like that. And he's the oldest living vampire that he knows of. Right. So it, he doesn't know anything more, or at least he doesn't reveal anything more. He does right. mention later, you weren't asking the right questions. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, but we also see that Santiago ends up reading Louis's thoughts uh, and here and kind of gets a glimpse of the name Lestat and something that happened to him. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, the only crime that he does mention is that you're punishable by death. You never kill your own kind. So you're not allowed to kill other vampires, but anything else pretty much goes. That's going to be the catalyst for Santiago and the troops' hate towards their that crew. Which, I mean, on the one hand, would they not forgive him for not knowing that? Because they, as far as they knew at that time, they were the only three vampires alive. Yeah, or I mean, they, yes. Just to them, it doesn't matter if you do it. Your 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 life is is forfeit. I, okay. Yeah, I think exactly. That's their code. That's what I would assume. Exactly. So anyway, um, Claudia goes out uh, in the town. Louis talks to Armand. You know, basically, they really discuss that apparently Claudia is in danger because of reading the thoughts. They kind of found out that Claudia is the one who did this. Basically, mm-hmm. Armand tries to convince slash seduce Louis into staying with him. There is there is a lot of and I think this is actually very well done. It's not just with um, there's there's a lot of. I would say almost sexual tension mm-hmm. between Armand and Louis, but also there was with Louis and Lestat. There's a right. lot of, you know, these these characters are effeminate at times. Right. With that, with certain things, or at least there's, they're kind of, there's there's romantic qualities between all of the characters. It's kind of a weird th- situation. Not that there's anything weird about that, if you know what I mean. But like it's right. between Louis and Claudia, between, you know, that's a basically like a 12-year-old girl. Um, I, yeah. But well, she's a, much older. I've always kind of, I've always kind of took it to mean because you kind of, you kind of see this. I think sometimes in other ones is, is like with vampires, gender is not a thing because they don't produce sure. sexually. Sure. That so makes sense. it's, it's, it's to the person really yeah. that their, like that, that their attraction is. And so I, I, I always took it to be more like that because again, they don't produce sexually, so mm-hmm. they're going to find connections other ways. Yeah. Why would that matter? I like that. That's a very good kind of description or explanation for some of the behavior which would seem you know different Mm -hmm. but i think it it works really well armand uh it does reveal that he knew lestat and even says i don't uh moan his passing Mm -hmm. so 
they, he did not have a good relationship with uh, Lestat either. Uh, Claudia uh, is at a house or at this place with this. Uh, or is it, sorry. So Claudia is back at the house uh, with Louis or sorry. Claudia is uh, back at their place where Louis goes to. And if he has, she has this woman with her, someone she saw at like a shop outside that we saw quickly. She wants Louis to make this Madeline a vampire, which Madeline is all for apparently because she lost a daughter. Uh, her daughter died. And now this way they can kind of be a family altogether, which Louis does. And I always forget how quickly this Madeline character is in the film. <laughs> Not very much <laughs> right. because pretty much right after that, the troop of vampires who, you know, had discovered Claudia and Louis killed Lestat. They go after them. They attack. They sentence Claudia and Madeline to death. And Louis has to spend eternity in a coffin sealed into a wall. And I think a little important shot here. We see, or we see Armand in the distance hearing what's going on. Right. He knows, he knows if not only knowing might have perpetuated this to happen. Right. So I like I, that I, they locked him in the the thing upside down. Yeah. They yeah, made for exactly. some interesting shots later when they show the inside of the coffin and he's upside down. I actually thought that was a really I I'm I'm sure they did it to be torturous, but like as an art uh-huh. shot, I like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're they're throw him in the coffin, lock the coffin, lock it up, run it downstairs. You're right. Put him upside down, which do you're right. When you have to do cut back to some reaction shots of him freaking out, it's upside down and things, and it's 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 cool. So he gets put in there. Claudia and Madeline get put into like this well, basically, where the sun goes above it. So we cut to it's daytime, and the sun is creeping, creeping down the well towards them as it goes overhead, mm-hmm. and it eventually burns the hell out of them, turning them to ash. At this point, then Armand eventually does decide to save Louis. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely timed after the death of Claudia and Madeline when nothing, which he would have had time. Yeah, when nothing can be done. Nothing can be done because he is I think he's trying to use this as a oh they're all gone now you might as well stay with me. Right. This is this is this is a way to convince Louis. But here's the thing. I know this is the f- the first book in this series and I don't I didn't read this but somebody else who had read almost all of them did tell me that Anne Rice wrote away for a vampire to come back from being burned from the sun. Oh, okay. However, Louis fucked that up when he touched them and uh, they collapsed. <laughs> yeah, they all they they disintegrate basically. Yes. However, <laughs> I don't think I don't think uh cuz I think she had a vampire do that and might have actually been Lestat. I don't think Claudia or the brand new vampire would have been strong enough to sure. have done something like that. I think they were going to be dead regardless. Okay. But she did apparently she did write away for them to if you were strong enough have a way to slowly come back from that. But I okay. think you had to have been a very very powerful vampire to have done that, so. Sure. Interesting. I'm not sure I love that. I don't either. Yeah. I, it sounds like it sounds like a way that she could kill a character and then bring him back. Yeah. And I, I that to me that's lazy writing. And I am yeah, lazy writing and I'm going to do my little do a little mini rant here. <laughs> I am very very sick of there being no stakes. I, I mean, I love Star Wars and the MCU, but they these two are like they they're on the biggest you know pyre right now. Uh-huh. You know, they're the two huge two of the hugest franchises right now. Right, and this is all they're doing is oh this person's dead. Wait, no, they're not. Oh wait, then this person's dead. Oh wait, no, they're not. And it's just like I am so sick of it. Yeah, I, it's just it's cheap. It's cheap writing. I will be pissed 
if if uh, if Tony Stark ever comes back, mm-hmm. because because then that whole emotional journey that we went on yep. was for nothing. Absolutely, it, it's so same kind of thing. For example, so I rewatched for uh, Talking Back, and I think it should be out by the time this episode's out. I rewatched the sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. so all three of the sequels for Star Wars. They're not good. None of the sequels are good. And I, you know what? I actually hadn't rewatched them since the theater because I was like, I did not really love them then. And then I rewatched them now and I'm like, yep, it just confirmed they're fucking trash. Uh, I think Force Awakens is the best among them. Um, but the last two are both god awful. And so here's a moment that one we weren't even clamoring for, but it was very emotional when C3PO um, had to basically get his mind wiped. Mm-hmm. For them to, this was in the last one. This was in um, Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, he had to get his mind wiped so that way he could translate this Sith, whatever. Right. And then, Duis Machina, 10 minutes later, in comes C3PO with a backup of fucking, or in comes R2D2 with a backup of C3PO's memory banks. And he's just, oh, up, back to normal. Right. And it's like, are you fucking. I just, I just fucking almost, you know, you tried to make me cry for a droid who we have seen throughout so many years and then hey, he's just back again fuck you yeah fuck you i can't stand that i can't stand a lot of the, yeah any of that kind of stuff which is the same kind of you know death and then being brought back yeah if tony stark comes back i'll go i'll go crazy if they bring killmonger back to be the next black panther that would make no fucking sense no i don't know who started that rumor that was the dumbest thing i ever heard but it doesn't matter because it's already been uh what's his name ryan coogler confirmed uh-huh. that it was it's shuri, shuri. Oh, okay, because it should be. Yeah. I mean, I think it totally makes sense. Yeah, because if you could go in to the fucking I, ancestral plane, why wouldn't you just bring back T'Challa? I th- I honestly <laughs> think that all of the we're getting out of a weird rant here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't normally talk this much about you know modern day stuff. I think he saw they saw all of the like internet going like, oh, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. The yeah. dumbest one I ever heard was Killmonger. I'm like Killmonger's death yeah. meant something, and it should it have did. meant something, and he does not need to come back. I know in the comics, it doesn't matter. They find ways to bring people back. But in the movie universe, I want the stakes to be real. Yeah. And and I, when someone said that, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing ever. I heard yes. some other ones. And I think they were sick of hearing it. We're like, you know what? We're just going to squash this. I'm like, listen, it, it's sure. Okay. It's sure. Don't, don't worry about it. Well, you know, it's kind of weird. I'm talking about how I really hate it when they do this. Oh, this person's dead. And then, no, they're not. But I actually really like it in this film. Um, <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> yes. But I also think they set it up. They did. You're they right. Set they set it up you- for for him to be believable to come back. Yes. All right. You know what? Yes. They, they, they are, you're right. <laughs> it, it wasn't something that they thought of after the fact and then had to retcon. It was set yeah. up from the beginning that this is how, you know. And you said it. That's that small line. It's mm-hmm. surviving. Yeah. And sur- and Lestat is really good at it. Yeah. So all right. Uh, we cut back to the interview and we actually see Louis crying because of the death of. Claudia, you know, he, he loved her. He was, she was family to him. Then we cut back to the past. Louis takes revenge for her death by fucking up all the other vampires. He apparently <laughs> gets up before them, pours gasoline all over them, lights them on fucking fire. And as they get out of their coffins, he slices them in half with a fucking like sickle. Yep. It's great. I, I love the choice <laughs> of the sickle too. It's yeah. fun. I really enjoy it. It, it makes total sense. One, two, on two ways. One, he came from a plantation, so right. he would know yes. kind of how to reap wheat or whatever. Yep. Also, 
it's the thing of the Grim Reaper, right. which ties into the, you know, fantastic kind of undead kind of thing. So it works and it look one looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh so yeah, he ends up killing all of them, including a very very satisfying slice in two for Santiago. And he does escape as the sun is starting to come up with Armand, who uh, was in a carriage and gets him out of there. He knew it was going to happen, but I think Armand had gotten, oh, fed up with the rest of those vampires, mm-hmm. you know, anyway. And so he kind of allowed Louis to do it. I think he was so. looking for a way out. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and he was hoping to be with our, be with Louis for another long time, but Armand confronts. But Louis confronts Armand about letting Claudia die because, um, of course, he would have known that that was going on. And he leaves Armand. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to America. I like how he sees some movies. You know, he mentions that that as the time grows, he can now watch a sunset again in film. And mm-hmm. we get little clips of stuff. I love that we get a little clip of the film Nosferatu in there, which is a little, you know, homage to old vampire stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes back to New Orleans and he catches the scent of death in Lafayette Cemetery. And he sees these dead rats, which is a great little sign. And he finds Lestat clinging to life right now. He's basically a shell of what he was, which is also great because he's not like, yeah, he's not back and he's like, I'm back and better than ever, baby, and I'm going to kill you. He's scrapped. He has survived, and that's what he is doing here. Mm -hmm. He's also... Has, because he hasn't been out and about in the world, he doesn't understand false light when, like, a very weirdly, a helicopter comes by. Yeah, and points the I, thing right into the house. That was the only odd yeah. part. <laughs> I didn't understand the motivation of the helicopter person, um, but whatever. You know, we see established that Lestat is still alive. Louis does leave, you know, not knowing what will become of Lestat, and that is the end of the story towards Malloy, who is so intrigued, and now he wants to become a vampire, which ultimately upsets Louis. You know, he's like, oh, I failed. You you don't understand. Like, you know, it's this is a tortured life. This is not, you know, one to 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 want to have. And he scares, ends up scaring the shit out of Malloy to try and, you know, convince him that that's this is not what he wants. And he gets out of there. Malloy, scared as hell, grabs his tapes, grabs his stuff, gets out there, gets into his car, which is like a sweet Mustang. Yeah. Gets into the car, leaves. He uh, puts in one of the tapes, starts listening to it. And enter Lestat, <laughs> who had kind of followed him. And um, a great line. I assume I need no introduction. I assume I need no introduction. As he bites Malloy on the neck, grabs the wheel, and he's looking much more rejuvenated now that he's had some actual human blood. Yeah. He uh, changes the radio and gives Malloy the choice he never had. I'm going to give you the choice I never had. I like the choice of of you seeing just the the steering wheel and then Lestat's hands and him fixing the little frills on his jacket because he always he's <laughs> yes. gonna want to look his best no matter what. I, I it's small choices, but I think they did a really good job with that. I like that. Yeah, I agree. That was a great shot. And then we uh, end as Guns and Roses uh, cover of Sympathy for the Devil plays with Lestat driving away with Malloy near death. Will he? Will he not cha- right. turn him into a vampire? We don't know. Right. By the way, Christian Slater was not originally cast as Malloy. Oh. It originally was going to go to River Phoenix. Oh. And then River Phoenix died. 
And so then they went to Christian Slater. Christian Slater apparently donated his salary from this movie to two of Phoenix's favorite charities. Oh, that's very nice. That's that's nice. Which I think they, they were, look, I think they were yeah. friends too. I think I some of those younger so. like Hollywood guys yeah. from the eighties were actually all. Um, there's a really interesting uh, documentary. Oh my god, what is the name of the girl who was Punky Brewster? Uh, uh, Mal- uh Soleil Moonfry. Soleil Moonfry. She put out a um a documentary. Apparently, she always had a video camera with her and has a whole mm. shitload of these guys on videotape and like just bullshitting, you know. Yeah. And I watched it. It's a little long and a little kind of monotonous but it's a very interesting look into sort of the behind the scenes life of these teen and kid actors from the 80s into the 90s because she talks about the death of river phoenix she talks about the death of 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 jonathan um, oh oh brandis brandis yeah and some of the other guys who who kind of took their own Uh, life and stuff like that it's it's a it's 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 not one i'm gonna ever go back and watch again but it's definitely worth Uh seeing once okay cool Cool. I will definitely have to check that out. Um, so, all right. That is the end of our film. John, I'd love to hear your thoughts on rewatching Interview with the Vampire. So, um, my daughter, when I told, when I was telling my wife, she's big into horror movies right now. She wanted uh-huh. to watch it with me. I said, okay, so you can watch it with me. She watched it up until the point where Lestat bits the woman's boob to suck the blood out of it. And then she was like, this is inappropriate. And she left, which is funny because <laughs> everything, everything in the beginning is actually more inappropriate to me than what happens later. So uh-huh. she kind of in and out with the movie. I couldn't tell if she was enjoying it or not. Gotcha. So, and then my son didn't really pay attention and my wife has seen the movie. So she didn't, she said she didn't need to rewatch it. I had a really fun time with this. I really actually enjoyed it. It's uh, I think it's a great vampire movie it does a good job setting up the lore without it having to be too heavy-handed or you know sometimes they say show don't tell but in this case they kind of do a little bit of both Mm -hmm. but they do it in such a way where it doesn't feel like i'm being spoon-fed too much it's just like here's a little taste now we're going to show you something here's a little taste now we're going to show you something it definitely kick-started kind of my love of vampire movies which is weird to say because uh we're about to i guess next week do top 10 uh vampire movies and when i went to start researching that i realized how many vampire movies i hadn't seen yeah i noticed the same thing for me (laughs) so i'm like okay so maybe it was just my starting my love of what would become modern vampire movies Mm -hmm. uh but it was such a fun ride to go back on again i really enjoyed it uh it was the exact same for me i fucking love this film we already discussed the performances. I think Brad Pitt does a great job of playing the tortured Louis, and obviously Lestat as the pompous and dramatic, overly dramatic uh, Lestat was great. Tom Cruise was wonderful. Makeup is solid. Costume is solid. The whole ambiance, and they do a really good job of, I think, setting this world of vampires, I think, into the real world. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that they explained everything and the way that they even kind of tie in pop culture stuff, I thought was wonderful. It made me feel like, you know what? This is one of the most realistic vampire movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I, and that helps it. And everything is wonderful about it. I think, and, and really it holds up so well. This is and a lot of those movies that are like period pieces. I think they do a better job of holding up because you don't have to believe the world of the eighties is now, mm-hmm. you know, when they're walking around, even though, yes, this was 
about 30 years ago, when they're in the world of now, there's not much. I guess the only difference would be he would, he would record with his cell phone as opposed to recording with tapes. You know, right. that's the only difference for Christian Slater's character. Um, but besides that, the film is wonderful. And if you like this, you know, back in the day or you're looking for an interesting, you know, just great film for vampires, check this one out. All right, now we are going to move on to The Munsters. This show started in 1964. It ran for two seasons, 70 episodes on CBS. It was created by Alan Burns and Chris Hayward. Alan Burns created The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rhoda, uh, George of the Jungle. Um, He also wrote for Get Smart. Uh, Chris Hayward also wrote for Get Get Smart, um, writing for Barney Miller and The Bullwinkle Show as well. The cast, Herman Munster is played by Fred Gwynn. He was on Car 54, Where Are You? And a bunch of other small parts, um, but between Car 54 and Herman Munster, those are his two things that he's most well known for. He's also the judge Uh, in uh, uh, My Cousin Vinny. Oh, okay, okay, nice. I forgot about that. That was a good movie. But Herman Munster is a Frankenstein's monster type. He's also... A classic sitcom dad, like mm-hmm. a classic sitcom goof dad, yeah. you know, like he is he is basically the prototypical sitcom dad, but as a Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, I, well, I didn't find any full episodes. You can find all the full episodes if you have Peacock, but I wasn't going to pay yep. for Peacock in order to watch all. Of, I ended up watching just kind of clips on YouTube. I, I just uh-huh. watched a bunch of clips just to kind of get a sense. And I mean, immediately you can tell. It's kind of just like any other 60s sitcom that you saw out there. I mean, I was watching, I'm like, if this were set in the South, I could believe that this was, um, why did I just blank on the name of that TV show that we already talked about? Adam's Family? No. No? Oh, Beverly Hillbillies? No. (laughs) The Sheriff. The Sheriff? Yeah. um, Andy. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, Andy Griffith Show. Andy Griffith Show, yeah. Um it had that same sensibility or like uh, yeah. for me watching like old episodes of like, uh, I was, when I was talking to my son about this, actually like watching old episodes of like Dennis, the menace or the Donna Reed show. It's literally the same style <laughs> yes. just set with monsters. So I immediately, like I didn't need to watch too much to understand the tone. It's just the situation that was, that had changed. Yep. I did the exact same thing. I wasn't going to pay for Peacock. Um, and so I just watched some clips online because uh, that's the best you can get. Mm-hmm. So, but you're dead on. This is very much just a sitcom, you know, good, wholesome family sitcom through and through just with monsters. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lily Munster is played by Yvonne DiCarlo. Uh, she has done a lot of film roles and, and things like that. But this is really the only one that I happen to recognize for her. Okay. Um, she was a vampire and the mother of the show. Grandpa is played by Al Lewis. Uh, he was also in Car 54, Where Are You, and a bunch of other small parts. And I kind of remember him really kind of, I don't know, enjoying being known as the grandpa from from Munsters. Like he, like he, like he showed up in other things almost as this character. Yeah, I also remember him like showing up as like the host of like a late night horror movie monster thing. Uh-huh. Like coming up next, folks, we're gonna watch the <laughs> here's the midnight movie with this, yeah. you know, this monster movie. So I think I I think he milked that character pretty much as much as he could 
Yeah, hey, good for him. I would too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he was also a vampire and the grandfather figure. Uh, Eddie Munster is played by Butch Patrick. Um, he was in some episodes of My Three Sons, Real McCoys, and just other kind of small parts. And uh, when uh, a Frankenstein's monster and a vampire get it on, they make a werewolf. <laughs> Everyone knows that because uh, the son is a werewolf. And then uh, Marilyn Munster uh, was played by two different people for the first 13 episodes, played by Beverly Owen, who really wasn't in much else. And then Pat Priest for the majority. And she's been in a few small parts. And Pat Priest is the one I kind of in my head recognize. She looks more like the one that I've seen most mm-hmm. in syndication. Um, and then uh, other people who appeared on the show, Pat Buttram, Don Rickles, Dom DeLuise, uh, Lenny Weinrib, uh, Burt Freed, who was uh, Officer Posner in Billy Jack. You'd recognize him. Oh, okay. And then uh, both uh, Mel Blanc and Bob Hastings, who are both fantastic, obviously, voice actors, did the voice of the Raven in the clock at different times okay. on the show. So that's cool. Uh, so the show was produced by the creators of Leave It to Beaver, and as they kind of put it, a satire on American suburban life, like the wholesome TV family, um, but they're traditional movie monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it was, it, it, but it was derivative. It yeah. absolutely was just like every other s- sitcom of that era. It did receive, it actually got higher Nielsen ratings than The Adams Family, uh, which it was kind of like a direct competitor mm-hmm. from The Adams Family, and I think... I think, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think I like the Munsters show better than the Adams Family show, but the 90s Adams Family movies is where I got like a love and appreciation for the Adams Family franchise right. for me. Which uh, uh, the show, let's see. Yeah, it had everybody, everybody was like their own stereotype. It was exactly like it. You know, there's mm-hmm. the well meaning father, the nurturing mother, the eccentric live in relative being the grandpa, the naive teenager. And then the, which was the um, Marilyn, right. uh, which, which, and then the precocious child, which was uh, the uh, Eddie. But uh, the fun thing about Marilyn, Marilyn was normal. She was a gorgeous girl, right? but she would constantly get made fun of because she's like the oddball of the family. Right. So I think that's a fun little quirk yeah. there. <laughs> so that's cute. Uh, yeah. Uh, the show was eventually canceled um, after its second season from ratings dropping Specifically, the ratings apparently dropped because ABC's Batman was taking all of its ratings, oh. and it, it did it did much better. So yeah. the Munsters ended up kind of losing their their audience there. But it ended up in syndication. I absolutely remember the show on Nick at Night. What do you? I mean, what do you remember seeing uh, the Munsters when you were younger? I definitely watched a lot of this show, probably on Nick at Night, or maybe other times when they would rerun other networks mm-hmm. or possibly rerun this stuff. Uh, you're talking about syndication. I I was looking at this for two seasons, only 72 episodes. Normally, we don't start talking about syndication with a show until it reaches 100. Yeah, which is just tells you how much this kind of penetrated pop culture. It was a, a two season show from the mid 60s. Still talking about it today. We can still reference it. People still know it. I know uh, Rob Zombie has his version coming out. I think sometime yep. this year. I think it's. It, I think it's. It said. I checked in. It said it was coming out in September, so it should already be out by now. Oh, um, it, it's on the Roku channel. So oh. if you have a Roku, which I actually do have a Roku, and I'm gonna watch the Weird Al movie, so I'm excited about that. Less excited about this one. I actually watched the trailer, and the trailer I thought looked kind of rough. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I'm not sure I'll check it out, but it is a, apparently anyone with Roku can check it out. So. I wonder if they'll have it available for rent on like Apple 
or a yeah Apple or something like that or, or yeah. Prime or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if down the line, you know, maybe I maybe because there's like a, you know, my son a, is a, also eagerly anticipating the Weird Al film. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't have Roku, and I was like, "Oh, I'll probably just be able to rent it." But if the Monsters yeah. is out and I can't rent that one, then I may have to. I don't I, know. I hope your son understands the Weird Al movie is a parody yes, movie. He it's, does. Okay, because we watched the trailer, and he understood that it was a parody. Because he's like, "There's no way Weird Al was like that in real life." <laughs> no, exactly. He didn't have six pack abs and didn't bang Madonna and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. But at first, I. I, at first, I was like, oh, cool. This is going to be like an actual biopic. And then after I saw like the trailer, I was like, what? This is, this is nothing like it. This is all bullshit. And then it eventually kind of clicked and eventually, you know what? I'm down with it. It, <laughs> it's, it, fit, it, fit, it fits. It is very much on brand with Weird Al. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm now on the, I'm forward. I'm on the train. I'm excited. So a couple things interesting with the Munsters is their, I think, pretty damn good theme song. enjoy this theme song i really do it's very simple but i think it totally works for the theme of the show and Mm -hmm. is memorable enough that i could just off the cuff kind of hum the melody if i needed to because it's 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 that it's that much of an earworm it works yeah it's catchy it's got that 60s sitcom feel but um in a you know an eerie monster way and it's actually nominated for a grammy in 1965 so that's cool i was kind of likened it to like a goth surfer song yeah, yes, there is there is definitely a beach beach um, you know, rock vibe to yeah. it. So couple things. They they live at I think a pretty famous address, thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane. Mm-hmm. It's usually something that kind of comes up in trivia quite a bit. Um, in the fictional city of Mockingbird Heights. And apparently that house, that same house that was used for the Munsters, was eventually used in the show Coach. And then again after another remodel in Desperate Housewives. Oh. So a kind of, kind of a famous uh you know, um, studio lot right house right there. Yeah. So, so as you mentioned, Rob Zombie is making a movie, but there was a lot of other like this kind of turned into like a, a franchise that would kind of either be rebooted or kind of they would bring the original characters back together down the line. So there were there was a show called Monsters Today that ran from 1988 to 1991 um, and lasted for 72 episodes, uh, and it had uh, John Shuck, who I don't know him, Lee Merriweather played mm. Lily. Um, Howard Morton played the grandpa, Jason Marsden, who I do recognize him. He played Eddie, the vampire or Eddie, the uh, werewolf. And then Hillary Van Dyke is Marilyn. So most of those, I don't know, but Lee Merriweather and Jason Marsden. Mm -hmm. And overall, there are other movies and specials and reboots. Monster go home, monsters revenge. Here come the monsters, uh, the monsters today, as I mentioned. And then yes, the Rob Zombie movie that's coming out on Roku. And as you already said, it's only available on Peacock premium right now. Mm -hmm. And that's all I've got about the monsters. So I'll start off since you started off sure. interview with the vampire because it was kind of hard to like watch full episodes. I couldn't get like a 
full vibe on the show, mm-hmm. but it's like not that I don't remember it. And you're right, it was it was a formulaic sitcom. Right. But I do I like the wholesomeness. I like the monster aspect to it. I like some of the quirky, you know, vibes of seeing a Frankenstein's monster have to deal with suburban life. Right. It's that's funny to me. It is a it's a cute show. It's one I I look fondly back onto. I don't ever really find my way to want to go watch it. I didn't love them enough that I'm going to go watch, you know, out of my way to watch the new right. Monsters movie. But I like it. I think it's a wonderful product of its time yeah. and I'm cool with it. Yeah. So. I'm largely I'm the same. It was it was, you know, they they would get into like funny situations that would make Herman like a fish out of water somehow or uh-huh. something like that. Um, but also, there's been a, a clip that's kind of been making the rounds uh, in kind of like the viral video thing, because um, this this show was right smack dab in the middle of civil rights era. Of mm. uh, there's a one of the episodes where Herman gives a speech to Eddie, like during at the dinner table about not judging someone about their skin color, or the type, or their person, you know, all mm. kinds of stuff like that. It benefited in longevity for that because it's it's got a good a good moral compass to mm-hmm. me, and I I think that's a one of the only reasons why I think the the show can can last as long as it has is it, sure. it kind I of like became that. poignant a little bit. Yeah, I don't think I'll good. ever go back and like if I ever if I ever got Peacock, I don't think this is one of the shows I'd ever go back and kind of watch end to end or anything like that. But um, it's it's a show that I'm glad it existed. I'm glad I enjoyed it when I was a kid. It, like I might show this to my kids, and like maybe my daughter or my son might get into it. Uh, my son has been getting into old shows. He when we we uh, have Paramount Plus, and he went back and watched all of the old Twilight Zone episodes uh, from like okay. the 50s and loved uh-huh. them. So I, maybe this is a show my son uh, or even my, possibly my daughter would have or could get into. I'm not gonna pay for Peacock just to <laughs> let him do it. <laughs> But I could see that happening. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... If your home is haunted by old carpeting, don't be afraid. Empire is having a monster carpet sale with savings to die for. Save 50% off all the latest styles and colors. We'll bring samples to your home and install next day with no payments till 2003. Save 50% on Empire's monster carpet sale. It's a sale you can sink your teeth into. All right, now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As I mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Interview with the Vampire. Uh, the movie, uh, we, we did mention that there is a, a new show on AMC Plus based on this, but uh, for the sake of this, I'm pretended like it didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Because it's our fun little thing. And I, I didn't even look at the cast in there, it's just not part of yeah. it for me. We'll do kind of a small cast of characters, but all the big ones, we'll do Lestat, Louis, Claudia, Malloy and Armand. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with Armand. I'll go ahead and start this one. Armand, I think, is supposed to be French. Oh, okay. I, I took him as Spanish. Well, that's because it's Antonio Banderas. I mean, and yeah. gra- I mean, Spain and France are right there. Yeah. So, I mean, you could make that argument. But I specifically looked up the name Armand, and Armand is a uh-huh. French name. So I'm okay. like, okay... Because my initial pick 
was actually Diego Luna. Okay. As Armand. I ended up switching that out for a... I looked specifically for a French actor. I was like, I want a French actor to do this, which is weird because I didn't do this with any of the other characters who are also basically French-inspired because of, of New Orleans. But I did it with this one, and maybe I shouldn't have. But I ended up picking a, a guy who most recently you would have seen on Moon Knight. I think he played kind of like... Uh, he was in one of the episodes where like he was a dealer of goods or something like that, and Moon Knight and his girl went to see them. Okay. And uh, there was a big fight on horses or something like that. I think he was one of their. Uh, his name okay. is Gaspard Uliel. He, okay. He is French for sure. I haven't seen. And I just saw that he died. Oh, he did. He died in January of this yes, year. Yes, he did. And I did not see that because he came out in Moon Knight. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so he's still alive. And I did not notice. Yeah. Wow. Um Aha, that hasn't happened since fucking Michael Clark Duncan. I'm like episode one. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> wow. I, I guess I'll go with my backup of Diego Luna then. Okay. Okay. There you go. That's a good call. Okay. All right. I, I think, do you think it's a good call? Because actually my very first character that I, the first person I wanted was Gael Garcia Bernal. Okay. As, that's who I wanted for Armand. Now they're both, they're both, uh, what are they, 40-something? Uh-huh. But the thing is, like, they both look really young. Yeah. They could play... Because, like, Armand can... I think he can be a little bit older. Ah, you know what? So now I kind of want to switch back to it. I had... I, I wanted to be... Because like, I wanted these characters to kind of be in, like, that mid-20s to mid-30 max. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted Louis in, like, the mid-20s. Um, Lestat probably maybe to be later 20 look. And then Armand to maybe be mid-30s look. Mm-hmm. And Gael Gar- Garcia Bernal absolutely can still pull that look off. And I know he's a good actor. He's probably better than this other guy who I picked that I don't even know. You know what? I'm, I was going to go with his name is Avon Jogia. Yogia. I'm not sure. Uh, A-V-A-N. I saw his look in a movie called uh, uh, Now Apocalypse. And I just kind of he kind of had a feel that I thought would look kind of like a it's like a Spanish Armand. I went with a Spanish feeling Armand. And I think he's got the vibe for it. But I know Gail Garcia Bernal's got a, is a really good actor, mm-hmm. and I like that. But you know what? No, I've used him before. <laughs> I'm going to use Avian Jogia, uh, this new guy that, you know what? I'm going based off of his look alone. Okay. How do you spell his name? A-V-A-N and then J-O-G-I-A. And if you look through his like pictures, pictures, uh, he's got, I don't know, he's got like some of the more longer hair, like effeminate vibes right. that I think would work for an Armand. Okay, yeah, I see it. I totally see it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's been in a movie with Ben Kingsley. Uh, he was in Zombieland Double Tap. You know what? He's. I'm sure he's good enough. If you can act opposite Ben Kingsley, well, I say that, but then Ben Kingsley and some of his recent stuff, when I think his MCU stuff, I don't like his Trevor Slattery and the way that they brought him back in. I don't I blame so Ben Kingsley for that, though. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's not. Yeah. It's not. He's, Sir Ben. He Kingsley's is fault. doing the best he can with the character he has. I'm glad they All brought right. him back at least as sort of a comic relief. I actually really did like his character in. Mm. Shang-Chi is sort of the quirky comic hey. be- comic relief a little bit. Um, sure. I thought it was a fun way to at least tie it back. Because the one thing MCU has done well, you do have to say, is they've sort of yeah. recorrected crappy characters that, or situations that they've done previously and make them yeah. more important later without it feeling too heavy-handed. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, sure. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> we'll, just use, we'll just say that. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, uh, Malloy. Who did you pick for Malloy? 
Uh, so you could go anywhere right. with Malloy. It, literally. I mean, he doesn't have that much screen time. Yeah, he needs to be a good actor. I didn't want an entire cast of all white people. Um, I did think Laco- uh, La- uh, Malloy had the opportunity to, you know, be somewhere in the more modern times. And it's not, you know, because I still think it will be like, you know, a, it would be, you know, back in the day for some of the stuff makes sense. But for today, uh, I went with Lakeith Stanfield. I'm sure I've used him before. And He's impressed me uh, as an actor, particularly in things like um, uh, he was in uh, Knives Out. I liked him. I partic- I really liked him in Get Out. I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, he was in Get Out. Yep. But he's been in tons of stuff. He is uh, he is a very good actor. He's been in Atlanta. I need to watch that show. I love pretty much anything Donald Glover touches. Mm-hmm. So I need to watch that one. But this guy's getting a lot of work. And he's getting a lot of work for a good reason. Yeah. So I like him a lot. Yeah, I, I definitely recognize the name. And I, you're right, I've also never seen pretty much anything he's been in. But he's been okay. working fairly steadily since uh, pretty much since uh, 2013. Like, so, And it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a good project. Yeah, it's so. good stuff, especially recently. So that you know that you know yep. he's, he's making his way up in the right direction. Cool. Very I like so. that. All right. Um, I... You're right. Malloy would have been the good place to to put in um, some diversity. I unfortunately did not go that route. I wasn't necessarily looking for one to ones, but I did kind of like I don't know. I cast it. I was casting it as I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, you know who reminds me of this? And I went with this guy. So mm-hmm. I mine ended up a little bit more one to one. I went with an actor. He's 25 now, but he still looks very young. So he kind he's been playing actually a high school student recently. You know, we've put on, maybe if we put some stubble. On him, let him grow out his beard a little bit. It'll age <laughs> sure. him up a little yeah. bit. He is British, and you know what? I wouldn't mind if he kept his British accent. I don't need him. I don't need Malloy necessarily to be American. Um, sure. So I went with Aza Butterfield. Oh, okay. Oh, he. I mean, he's got the. He's got the baby he's face. Got the baby face. And so yeah, I, let him let him grow some hair out. Sure. I, we've we've used him multiple times, and we both like him a lot. Yeah. I like Aza Butterfield. Hell, I I loved him. I need to rewatch Hugo. That's a great movie. I do need. Re- I need to show that to the kids. Actually, I have never shown that to them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he, you know, one. Malloy has kind of that. They kind of give him that sort of nerdy journalist look, and Ava yeah. Butterfield can totally pull off that sort of nerdy journalist look. So, um, and he's a good actor. Absolutely. So I think it worked. It would be easy. It'd be an easy thing for him. Yep. Yep. Great call. Uh, okay. So now to Claudia, which <laughs> was kind of we knew it was inevitable. We yeah. had you have to you cast have it. to yeah. cast it. So there's you know any number of ways. I ended up going with a relative unknown. Okay. A relative unknown. I wanted Claudia to be young. So a lot of the kid actors we've been looking at lately are in their like mid to late teens, and I wanted to try go kind of as young as I ha- as I could. This actress right now is twelve. Okay. Um, but she's been doing uh, some pretty steady work. She's been doing some voice work on the Madagascar TV series that's based on like the animated movies. She was on a series called Home Before Dark and just a bunch of little things here and there. Her name is Brooklyn Prince. And it's Brooklyn with two N's at the end. Brooklyn Prince. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. It's going to be the same thing that when I say my person, it'll be the same thing. I've not seen anything that she's been in. Right. But I also went with a 12-year-old actress, and I think she, I assume she could do it. She's got 17 credits, which is solid for someone 12 years right. old. And yeah, she's been doing doing stuff, yeah, and consistent work recently, so I'm cool with this. Cool. All right. Yeah. 
Who was your so. uh, Claudia? I also, you know, you got to go. Yes, exactly. 12 is about the max because I think obviously the most important thing about the kid is pre-pubescent. Right. They, they haven't hit puberty. Uh, and so the, you know, they're yearning to grow up um, is a massive aspect for the character. I looked around. I found a uh, 12-year-old actress who has done some horror stuff before. Ah, okay. And I think that was very helpful. She was on uh, six episodes of American Horror Story. And this year, earlier this year, she played uh, the main character in the mo- a reboot of the movie Firestarter. Remember uh, Drew Barrymore as a kid? Yeah, yeah. Play- so they did that one. I heard this movie was trash. I heard this one was real bad. I don't know. I'll actually have to ask. Uh, both my wife and daughter watched it. So oh, okay. I'll have to ask them. I don't know because I didn't bother. So she is in that one um, playing, I believe it's the main character in that one, and her name is Ryan Kira Armstrong. Okay. Yeah, once you said that, I remember seeing the poster, so I know what she looks like. Yeah. She's got the right look. Yeah. Um, she's She's been just steadily doing some stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, the Tomorrow War and yep. like that. Tomorrow. She's probably just, you know. Yep. We let, we put let's put these let's put the, our, these two girls in a, in a room with their co-stars and, and let them act it out until we figure out which one's the better one. Yep, sounds good. Okay. Uh, all right, Louis, and I like that you put Louis second on there because to me, like, <laughs> yeah, Lis, like Louis is the main character, but Lestat is like the one that you I'm, want to cast. Yeah, exactly. I'm most excited for to cast Lestat. Yeah, Louis was the one I had the absolute hardest time on Mm -hmm. let's start with you first and then i'll reveal mine yeah this was this was tough um because there is a there is a good performance by brad pitt for sure he's tortured um and you have to find someone very good looking um so it, it it was tough but i ended up going with someone who i i think i've used him before and i from one movie i saw him in, I hated him in it. I'm not sure I hated his <laughs> acting, but I hated the film and I hated his character because he was just an asshole little teen. Um, he was in Jurassic World, one of the, he was the older brother in Jurassic World, oh, and I yeah, hated yeah. him. But in the movie Love, Simon, he played Simon, and he did show me that he was actually quite good of an actor. I do think he could do this. He's a good-looking young man, and I think he kind of can pull off, you know, leading man Brad Pitt vibes. I went with Nick Robinson as okay. my Louie. And he's not, he's just done, he's like 28 or something right now, uh, maybe 27. And so he can, you know, he's got right in the right time frame, And so I think he's good. Okay. Um, I can, I can believe that. Yeah. I haven't, the only thing I've seen him in was Jurassic world. Okay. That was it. I haven't seen any of the other stuff. Gotcha. So, um, but I could totally believe that. All right. It'd be fine for this one. If I'm thinking realistically, Louis being like basically the main character, I've got to go with a big name. I've got to sure. somehow go with a big name. And honestly, in in that <laughs> mid twenties age range, I know where you're going. Well, I'm not sure you do, oh, but okay. you won't be surprised. You won't be surprised. I did not go with um, Spider-Man. That's okay. That's where yes. I thought you were going. I think even bigger than him right now. Ooh. Is Timothy Chalamet? Uh, he, he well with Dune, absolutely. Yeah. He's and huge. There's some of his other projects. His name, I be, I keep hearing his name out of people's mouths in in interviews and all kinds of stuff. So I I went with him. He is mid twenties, mid to late twenties. Yeah. yeah, he's like twenty seven right now. That's a that's about the right age. He does look very very young. Um, he's yeah. got that that good baby face, but he's he's a handsome dude, mm-hmm. and I 
I think we need the draw of a Timothy Chalamet into this one because most of the other ones I've picked, including my Lestat, are not as big of a name. Okay. In my one. So I needed that draw, and to me, Chalamet was going to be the only one who could do it. He is a good actor, so I don't doubt yes. he'll be good in the role. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Uh, all right. Lestat. Let, let me go first with Lestat, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. Go ahead. I'd love to. Because he's a really good actor in the right time frame, even though he doesn't have the blonde golden hair, maybe he we can still use the wig because Tom Cruise is very much a dark hair. Right. My Lestat is a strong actor that you picked for Louis. Oh. I went with <laughs> Timothy Chamolet as my Lestat. Okay. Yeah. I can I, also see that as well. I, I mean, he's got... I don't know. He's got like these features that I feel would fit really well with Lestat, but I can see him for either. And so, yeah, I, I just throw it out there because, yeah, he's you know he's good. <laughs> so he's okay. my Lestat. Okay. I don't know that you're not going to know who my Lestat is. Okay. But this was the very first person I cast. I thought of this person immediately. Ooh. I think he's really, really going to work. I immediately saw watching this watching Lestat and I immediately thought of the character of Desire from the Sandman series. Oh, I haven't seen any of that yet. And a wonderful non-binary actor whose name is Mason Alexander Park did the role of Desire in that and he plays a kind of sexually ambiguous character as Desire uh-huh. and immediately I'm like that's what I need from Lestat. Lestat is sort of sexually ambiguous. Sure. He he's non he's almost non-binary as we would say now. It's not yes. a term that was around then. Even though you only see Desire a handful of times, to me the attitude was exactly Lestat. It was it was that perfect sort of uh, menacing, maniacal, um, yet sweet kind of as you were doing it. Okay. Um, if you need any more reason to watch the Sandman series, Adam, yeah. I, I really, I really highly recommend it. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, I'm excited to check out Mason's performance, and I think, I think Mason would be fantastic. I, I'll, I'll have to wait until I watch the Sandman, but I trust you for sure. Okay. Um, he was also in the the Cowboy Bebop TV series, which I didn't watch. Um, okay. But he's also in the new Quantum Leap reboot that just came out. I'm Which, skeptical about that. I, I, I'm I not as much in love with the Quantum Leap show that I'm going to go rewatch a reboot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, no, it was definitely the Sandman series that sold it for me. Cool. All right. I like our picks. Cool. All right. That was our recasting of Interview with the Vampire. Please join us next week as John and I wrap up the Vampire Month of October 2022 with our top 10 vampire films. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.